Belkhar once again for joining us today. Inshallah, we're going to start with the recitation of the Quran. So if everyone could please uh, have a seat. A'udhu billahi minash rajim Bismillahirrahmanirrahim Wa qala alladhina la ya'lamuna law la yukallimuna allahu aw ta'tina ayah Kadhalika qala alladhina min qablihim mithla qawlihim Tashabahat kulubuhum Qad bayyanna al-ayati liqawmin yuqinun Inna arsalnaka bilhaqqi bashinan wa nadira Wala tus'alu an ashab al-jahim Walan tarda'an اليهود والنصارى حتى تتبع ملتهم قل إن هدى الله هو الهدى ولن اتبعت أهواءهم بعد الذي جاءك من العلم ما لك ما لك من الله من ولي ولا نصير الذين آتيناهم الكتاب يتلونه حق تلاوته أولئك يؤمنون به ومن يكفر به فأولئك هم الخاسرون الله سبحانه says in verse سورة البقرة 118 those who have no knowledge say if only Allah would speak to us or give us a sign that would come true the same was said by those who came before him. Their hearts are all alike. Indeed, we have made the signs clear for people of sure faith. O Muhammad, we have surely sent you with the truth as a deliverer of good news and a warner, and you will not be accountable for the residents of hellfire. And never will the Jews or Christians be pleased with you until you follow their faith. Say Allah's guidance is the only true guidance. And if you were to follow their desires after all the knowledge that has come to you, there will be none to protect or help you against Allah. Those who have been given the book, follow it as it should be followed. It is they who truly believe in it. As for those who reject it, it is they who are the losers. So once again, assalamu alaikum everyone. Jazakallah khair for joining us today. Uh, it is a portion of your weekend. It is valuable and you decided to spend that with us. So may Allah reward you for it and bless our time together. Ameen. Uh, what we're going to be talking about today is Malik gave the introduction before, uh, right after the Salah. Uh, we're, I don't know if many of you had the chance to hear it, but a very famous Canadian psychologist by the name of uh, Jordan Peterson, who is a professor at the University of Toronto, uh, is no longer there uh, because of some of his views on uh, certain social issues. Um, he gave, I guess, an address to the Muslim community, right? Like a, like a message or a, le a lessons, I guess I would call it. I mean, me and Malik will go into, uh, into detail about what the significance of his address is, uh, where he basically was telling Muslims, you know, if, if we're going to summarize his message, 
Uh, it was, hey, you know, I know a lot of Muslims listen to me because I've had some Muslim guests on, you know, my podcast and my show. And I want you Muslims to stop fighting. Uh, you guys fight too much. You know, you guys fight between Sunnis and Shias. You guys fight the Jews and Christians. You know, the real enemy is the enemy in your heart, right? It's shaitan in your heart. So stop fighting. Stop fighting each other. Stop fighting us. And focus on fixing yourself, right? Focus on fixing your own internal condition. And you know, there's a lot of bad things going on in the world and us Jews, Christians, and Muslims need to stand together in the spirit of the Abraham Accords. Uh, for you know, those of you who may not uh, remember what the Abraham Accords are, they're the deal that Donald Trump got the uh, Israelis and the other Gulf countries to agree to uh, for uh, supposed peace in Palestine, right? So those accords uh, with that beautiful signature that uh, <laughs> uh, Malik is showing you guys uh, is, uh, you know, something we'll discuss as well. And so in the spirit of those accords, you know, Jews, Muslims, and Christians should work together for a shared salvation, right? That we can, we can share some salvation with uh, the people of the book. The reason we're talking about Jordan Peterson, or I guess I should say the reason we're not talking about Jordan Peterson is we're not here to necessarily uh, attack someone. Right? The reason I'm saying that is because Jordan Peterson has become a bit of a, a villain online and in the culture uh, because of his support of more right-wing politics. And even Muslims can sometimes fall into that kind of thinking. We're not here to attack him. We're going to assume what he's saying is in good faith. Right? We're going to assume that he's being sincere. But we're also going to call out uh, the hypocrisy, the shallowness, and the cruelty of his message, uh, inshallah. Uh, but before I get started, uh, I, my uh, guest here is a uh, very quiet. Salaam Malik, how are you doing? Walaikum salam. I'm doing fine. How are you doing? Alhamdulillah. Alhamdulillah, not bad, not bad. Uh, so, getting started here, what are, do you have any opening thoughts on uh, on this address or anything I've missed in the summary? No, I think it's a pretty good summary uh, about what what he was saying. Okay, okay, Zakallah. For me, I guess the the big thing that came off, which was as a Muslim, the most offensive to me, just hearing it was him asking Muslims to stop fighting, right? Like him asking Muslims to stop being aggressive, right? And if so, I guess my question is, if, if we look at the history of the Muslim world, if we look at the history of even just the past 100 years, and if we look at the issue of aggression, if we look at the issue of, of, of creating violence and, and you know, de destabilizing uh, communities, if someone is serious about stopping that, should they be addressing the Muslims to do that? Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Alhamdulillahirrahmanirrahim. Wa salatu wa salam ala Rasulillah. Yeah, so I think that, uh, I mean, I mean the, the main issue that he kind of started off with and that was kind of, uh, kind of threw us all off was the whole Sunnah Shia kind of comment, right? As, uh, as, yeah, as you kind of discussed. And, you know, it's hard. I mean, the thing that jumps in most of our minds is like when, like it's that similar to that kind of uh, uh, sort of, uh, you know, view like when, when people look at uh, minorities, they, 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 they resort to this kind of you're fighting amongst yourselves, like most famous of that is black on black crime kind of concept. And it's kind of hard to uh, kind of ignore that kind of idea, right? And you can see the absurdity of this kind of concept uh, quite easily when you start looking at and you kind of simplify the Russia-Ukraine conflict as white on white crime, right? No one, no one goes on and says the Russia 
Ukrainian conflict is white on white crime because it's obvious that yeah. <laughs> there's a lot more geopolitical stuff. Like we on this podcast here, we discussed the the Ukrainian Russian conflict and we went way back into time. We went back to you know the Holodomor, like the massacre between the you know when the when Stalin killed the Ukrainians and starved them to death, resulting to three to twelve million of their uh, people dying. Uh, and so you know. It's not, this is something we're not just telling George Peterson or others to kind of adopt. We do it ourselves, right? Like you have to look at the geopolitical factors. And it's the same thing with the Muslim world, right? Like when you look at the Muslim world, you don't see on the map Shia-Stan and you don't see Sunni-Stan, right? Like you don't see that on the map, right? You see uh, different countries and where those countries come from, right? So if you go back 100 years and you have to look at something called Sykes-Picot Treaty, which was, uh, which was signed by Sir Mark Sykes of, of UK and uh, George Picot of France, the same two countries that colonized Canada. Yeah. as Jordan Peterson well knows. Uh, and uh, it's it's that when they cut up the Ottoman state into these kind of divide, uh, divisions. So how can you talk about divisions without talking about colonialism, right? And even on this Sunni-Shia issue, I mean, this thing came to the forefront with what we see now in Iraq, right? When we see in Iraq, what we see now. You know, Iraq was under, un, under though we don't, uh, you know, praise Saddam Hussein in any way, uh, we saw under Saddam Hussein was one country, right? And now it's a split up amongst, uh, you know, Sunni, Shia, and Kurdish, uh, Kurdish territories. Who did that? It wasn't the Sunnis. No. It wasn't the Shias. It was America, right? The, 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 who was taken over the great game from Russia and, uh, sorry, from uh, uh, UK and, and France. Uh, now America is the premier colonizers. And then even when you look at, for example, Iran and Saudi, who also try to exploit this uh, Sunni-Shia conflict for their own benefit, uh, you see that... Saudi uh, tries to maintain some kind of credibility and relevance with the Sunni by like spearing this kind of uh, you know conflict with the with with the Shia uh, and of course uh, you know you know for the for most of them uh, we take objection to how they are uh, mastering our brothers and sisters in Yemen right may Allah protect them and may Allah alleviate their suffering I mean uh, and then also uh, Iran for its uh, uh, Iran also exploits this kind of issue for its own sort of uh, regional ambitions right. Uh, for Iran to maintain its uh, its relevance, has to has to make the Sunni minorities in the countries, whether it's Lebanon or Iraq or other places, uh, Yemen, etc., is that look like you're going to be dominated by the Sunnis, so you better like take loyalty from us. So we watch out for those Sunnis, right? So it, it's a way for Iran to ex- ex- extend its influence. But we really can't stop there either, right? Because who is behind the scenes? Uh, arming these two uh, uh, to, uh, to uh, traitor uh, regimes, right? So we know with Iran, with Saudi, it's quite obvious that Trump, if you remember when he went to uh, in a crowd, he told uh, his uh, followers like, "Oh, you know, the king wouldn't last two weeks without with our support, right?" And and, he's absolutely correct, <laughs> and he was right on that one. Trump's got some zingers there, right? <laughs> the, the devil speaks the truth, right? So it's uh, so he said that, and then also uh, when it comes to Iran. Uh, the support's been there from the start, right? If you look at the Iran-Contra affair, which was in 1980, America armed uh, Iran. Then, uh, more recently, under the Obama industri- administration in 2016, uh, they got $1.7 billion, uh, $1.7 billion in aid, and $400 million of that was delivered in cash. Like, they actually dropped... Um, cash in an airplane in, into Iran, right? So, uh, so we can see that we can see that America behind the scenes is is working with these players. And so, when you see, uh, you know, Soleimani being assassinated, it wasn't the Sunnis who assassinated him either. He was a general in the Iranian army. Was assassinated by America uh, when the and after they had Iran had had put down that rebellion, which is Bashar al-Assad is uh, is backed by America. And so Iran worked with America to kind of uh, extend its influence. So when we look at the, this uh, sort of reality, uh, we clearly see that 
that the, the real issue for us is not the Sunni-Shia conflict, right? As of what I've described, is really the continuation of colonialism, right? Colonialism is the real issue for us, and it's been the issue for us for the last uh, 100, 200 years, and that's what, that is the pr primary issue, and these kind of false borders that have been erected between us didn't come from us, right? Uh, the Muslims um, reject these borders, even till today, right? Uh, and, and, and that's, I think, one of the key things when looking at his comments. I, I, think, uh, I think what I'm taking, especially from you talking about it from the Ukraine-Russia perspective as well, you know, because Ukrainians are European, right, because they're white, and when people look at them, uh, you know, they start empathizing with the geopolitical concerns that they have, right? So when they're being bombed by the Russians, and then they go around the world, you know, asking people for weapons and aid, no one says, oh, you know, why are the Ukrainians such an aggressive people? Why are they going around asking everybody for weapons? Why do they hate the Russians so much? Are they anti-Slavic, right? Like, that's not, that's not the kind of comments you hear because they understand that there is a structure of aggression against them, and so if they're fighting, they're fighting for a reason, right? But then when you talk about, you know, uh, the Palestinians, when you talk about, you know, sectarian uh, conflicts that uh, are, uh, arise in the Muslim world, it's like Muslims just have this anger gene that's in their DNA and they just get real mad or something like that, as opposed to looking at what's happened. But I want you to even comment on beyond the Muslim world. I mean, the past hundred years, the West's, or even I'd say maybe the past two, three hundred years, the West's main export has been colonialism, right? Right. And in the past hundred years, the West's main uh, export has been nationalism, has been the nation state, right? Like uh, when uh, you know, I forget which president it was who entered World War One. His specific uh, stated goal in entering was to end empires and create nation states. He said that as one of his requirements, right? And so, what have we seen? What is the legacy of nation states? What is the legacy of these borders? Are these borders just benign lines in the sand, or are they violent, militarized places where people are killed, right? Well, absolutely, it's the latter, right? So it's, I mean, and, and you can kind of see, like, these straight lines don't exist in nature, right? Like, when you look at, like, for example, even the border between Afghanistan and Pakistan, it's not natural, right? Like, half the Pashtuns are on one side of the border, and the other Pashtuns are on the other half of the border, but there's still families, right, that have relations with each other, right? We, and you kind of see that because of the nation-state model, when uh, our, in, when people from Afghanistan are trying to work in in, uh, in Pakistan, the Pakistani uh, you know establishment goes after them, right? So it's like this foreign uh, sort of uh, kind of concept that has been implanted, which Rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam said is rotten, leave it with the nationalism, is uh, is one of the most uh, you know toxic things that we have adopted from the from the West that's been imposed on us, and that is something that we need to reverse immediately. Yeah, and it's, it's led to such a high degree of violence. Like, we had two world wars because of nationalism. We've had all kinds of, uh, you know, the, the, the Yugoslavian and Serbian conflict, so many others because of this assertion to the nation state. Even the creation of Israel is, you know, that it's a Zionist ethnostate, right? Like, that's what they're, that's what they're trying to create, uh, inspired by the ethnostates in Europe. Absolutely. Um, and so I guess my, my takeaway from what you're saying would be we may not have as much to learn from, about peace from a man who defends the tradition of Europe and America, which is a very violent tradition. Absolutely. I think the other part of his comment that I thought was hilarious, because if you guys actually watched uh, his video, his suggestion for a solution was, uh, get this, to get a pen pal. Right? He said that Sunnis should start writing letters to Shias 
and she has to start letting, writing letters to Sunnis. And once they've got a nice back and forth going, maybe Muslims can start getting a Christian pen pal, a Jewish pen pal, right? And if we all just wrote each other letters, you know, the world would be, would be a nicer place and we could solve all these issues. The larger, I guess, theme there is this idea of individual reform, right? The idea that the corruption in the world is just because each of us have this shaitan inside us and if we can just manage that, uh, we'll be okay, and that there's no structural issues that we have to address. There's no people in power that we have to challenge. It's just us writing letters to each other. And first of all, I mean, I found that funny because, I mean, it's what does he think the Muslim world is? Does he think Sunnis and Shias don't talk to each other? Do you think, does he think we don't have Shias in our families, Shias in our friend circles, you know, Shias in our, in our uh, larger community? Does he think Muslims have never talked to a Christian before, right, or a Jew before? Uh, and so, I mean, obviously it's ridiculous just from a reality perspective, but from a, more from like a, like a solution perspective, does he think like writing letters will make bombs stop falling? Does he think that like, you know, if we just wrote a nicely worded letter to Trump, he would stop droning Somalia, right? Like, what's the logic there? Yeah, well, I mean, the ridiculousness of what he can be seen is couldn't be, again, canceled in 20 seconds when you think that if he was to suggest that, uh, that solution, quote-unquote, uh, for uh, stopping the war between Ukraine and Russia, oh, you guys just need to write pen pals, right? You just need pen pals <laughs> with each other. Then, you know, that, and that was kind of the problem between the Nazis and the Jews as well, right? It's just, if, they just, if the Jews had just written letters to the Nazis, they would have just stopped Hitler, right? Like, give me a break, right? Like, it's, it's ridiculous. And to your point, uh, you know, my grandfather before marriage was Shia as well, right? So it's like this idea that she, yeah. Shia and Sunni don't don't talk to each other um you know i'm proof that that's not true yeah um uh, the the other side of it this um uh the, you know this concept of uh, individualism that he kind of speaks to i mean of course as and as, as as muslims we will face allah subhanahu wa ta'ala alone right so we will face and be held accountable by allah subhanahu wa ta'ala by ourselves and so this is part of our aqidah part of like one of the pillars of iman that we will be held accountable by ourselves and uh, so, for example, like, you know, you and I grew up here. Uh, we know what kind of fitna it is, like, in terms of lowering your gaze. But you can't say, well, I grew up in a capitalist society and they exploited women, and so I couldn't lower my gaze, so I'm not held accountable for that. that do it doesn't work like that on the Day of Judgment, right? Yeah. Uh, but, but the flip side is, is that the corruption is not from the individual. It comes from the system, right? When we look at our, the system that we, this capitalist system, the li democratic liberal system, it's based on the concept of freedom. And we have to kind of zoom out and freedom from what, right? What is the freedom from, right? So the, these these nations that the, the 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 capitalist nations they got their origins from the Enlightenment, which was to uh, which was to get freedom from the church. Now people may say that oh well we were trying to the church was corrupt and so we had to let it go, but they didn't reform it. It's not like they try to reform and find the true answer. That, you know, does Allah exist? Is, is there a creator? What is the true messenger? That's not the path they took. They what they took was to get rid of the church, throw it on the margins of society to make. Uh, make God irrelevant, right? So when we, when we look at this issue of what, when we look at the kind of the broader construct of this issue of how we're being corrupted by capitalism, this issue of lowering the gaze, for example, like when you go to Shoppers Drug Mart, the way the, the magazines are, they're telling you to, they're corrupting you, right? Like that, yeah. that, that mere existence of those magazines and, and, that, and the, the giant corporations behind that and how they exploit, uh, exploit women in those magazines is obviously 
that's where the corruption is coming from. If if those magazines weren't there, as 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 Islam prescribes, then then that corruption wouldn't be there, right, in the system. And I've been recently going through this. Uh, there's a there's a famous uh, author Michael Michael Lewis who he wrote the Big Short, which most people are fa- fa- uh, familiar with, uh, which was about the 2008 financial crisis. They made a movie about it. But his original book was uh, Liar's Poker, and so he did 20th uh, anniversary of that. And when it, there was an interesting discussion he had with uh, and and Clark Wolf, who was one of the people that he worked with at Solomon. He, that's where he talks about Wall Street and his experience with Wall Street Solomon Brothers and. And what they were reflecting on is how things have changed as a reaction to the Me Too movement. And and the Me Too movement, obviously, you know, women expressing, uh, you know, kind of, uh, un, you know, experiencing unintended advances or unwanted advances, uh, it was obviously a function of this corrupt kind of situation. Like you, yeah. you kind of put this kind of wrong idea about women uh, that, that they're sex objects into the minds of the society, not just men, but the whole society. And then makes a fertile ground for these kind of bad actors to uh, to act on that, right? So what what Wall Street has done is, as as they were uh, commenting on, was that uh, they've adopted the Pence rule. Uh, so for for those who don't know the Pence rule, Pence rule is, ex- is essentially kind of a Christian version of Khulwa, right? Khulwa that you can't be in a seclusion with a non, uh, you know, if there's a, a non maham uh, like as two men and women cannot be alone with each other. Um, and so they said that a man, man should like no one should take a woman to dinner by him, by himself because uh, of you know this problem, right? So they were, I mean, Michael Lewis and the, and the, and um, Anne Clark were critical of of this kind of concept, you know, because they're from a li- more the liberal side. Yeah. But what this shows is that uh, when you look at the concept of the commons, right? So when you have when you have a the industry adopting the Pence rule, what that does is that it puts a barrier for a bad actor has to cross over, right? So if, if everyone is not going to a dinner by themselves and a man does that, people, well, what's up with that, right? Yeah. Because he's either either he's a bad actor or, you know, why is he doing that, right? It flags with, it as, as odd behavior. Uh, I, think, I think you may have missed uh, uh, explaining to everyone why it's called the Pence rule. <laughs> like, uh, it was based on Mike Pence, who is the vice president of the United States, uh, and uh, I guess a, a Christian, right, um, in ways. And uh, one of his uh, rules was that he would not take dinner with a woman after 9 p.m., uh, you know, if his wife wasn't present. And that he would not, I think, drink uh, after a certain time with a woman or something like that. Like he had some, like he had some certain rules that he said. And everybody was like, what's wrong with this guy? And like, you know, why are Christians so backward? And I was like... This is literally the only thing that I've heard about this guy that I respect, right? So, <laughs> so I don't know. There's Zach here for, uh, for uh, kind of uh, jumping in with that, in that. But, but I think that what most uh, uh, people like Jordan Peterson and other people who are schooled in the in the econo- in the in the liberal sort of idea, they don't recognize the concept of the true concept of society, right? Which is that society is not just individuals, but it's the commons. There's a common understanding, and so like this idea, the shift where you could go to dinner with uh, in culture where you could go to dinner with a woman by yourself versus not, it's the common emotion, thoughts, and systems that people adopt, right? Like, you and I can't fight inflation, right? Yeah. Like, that's not a problem you and, you, you and I can solve as an individual. Like, no matter how much we try to fight shaitan and say, it's not going to change inflation, right? Yeah. Like, it's a, inflation is something that exists outside of you, right? So the Islamic solution for inflation is the gold and silver standard, right? And to eliminate fractional reserve banking. Like, these are the solutions that have to be implemented at a societal level. And Islam recognizes that there's a societal level that we have to operate in and not uh, not just look at just the individuals, which is a very small aspect of the society and the corruption 
is really from these uh, kind of uh, from these kind of collective institutions. Yeah, and I mean, even if you look at uh, how the ulama or even how the Khalifa Abu Bakr Razan who uh, commented on the ayat of the Quran that talk about saving yourselves and your family. I think it was uh, Abu Bakr who said that you know you, you you are misunderstanding this ayah if you think that it means just you know saving yourself and your family. And other scholars they said that you know if it's if you're saying that being guided, you know if, if you're saying you have to guide yourselves and your family, you can't be guided unless you are concerned with what's going on in the society. Right? That is not guidance. Um, and Rasulullah in his famous hadith mentions you know the hadith of the ship. You know uh, that you know if uh, if and on a sh- if you're on a ship and uh, you know the lower deck of the ship, the people there in order to access water are creating holes in the ship. That's not just their individual action that you can allow. Right. right. That's something that the whole ship will sink. It affects right. everybody what they're doing individually. Right. So. And we clearly saw that in the financial crisis, right? Like where they gave uh, loans to people who couldn't afford it at exorbitant interest rates, and that caused. Uh, they still haven't really worked through that. You know, they had that that financial crisis and the financial overhang is still a problem till today, right? And then COVID came, and that just kind of you keep ex- accelerating the problem, the trillions of dollars that are floating out there, and lo and behold, we have now this inflation. But this is uh, this 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 thing where they allowed uh, the, they gave these people these loans when they shouldn't have. Yeah. Uh, you know, are you know, it's that co- cooperation with the society where they co- cooperate in sin, yeah. whereas Allah Subhanahu wa Taala said, "Not do not cooperate in sin." But but to that end, they keep, keep drilling the holes in the side of the ship, and this is why we're going down. Yeah. I, I think uh, what's interesting, and I, and I want to talk to you about this whole Abrahamic stuff, right? Because we've been hearing this a lot. It's it come it comes it even comes up in like Muslim Dawah circles, right? Where they're like, oh, well, you know, they're Abrahamic religions and this and that. I want to talk to you about the reality of, of what that means and what the significance of that is. But even if we look at the fall of, you know, many of, or even if you look at the rise of a lot of issues Jordan Peterson himself is worried about. He's talked about narcissism. He's talked about the LGBT agenda. He's talked about, you know, all these kinds of things as being issues. Yet he still subscribes to individualism. And it's like he's somehow not seeing the link between the individual ideology that he subscribes to and these social problems, right? Right. Like if, if you if you believe in individualism, then what's wrong with somebody saying they don't want to be the gender they are, obviously are anymore? It's their individual right. It's their freedom of expression. It's them, you know, it's their free speech. Like what's what's the issue with that, right? So he'll complain about the result, but he's not. He's still supporting the cause almost, right? Absolutely. I was thinking, yeah, but more for it to the Abrahamic thing, like what, what is that, right? Like what is, what is this, all this Abrahamic stuff we're, we're, we're hearing about? It seems like there's some kind of a Abrahamic religion that's being pushed on us that is entirely dedicated to individual aspects of worship, self-reflection, spirituality, and leaving the rest of the important decisions uh, to the people in power, basically. Uh, what, what's what's the reality of that? Yeah, so the Abrahamic Accords were what he was referring to specifically was that a treaty signed in 2020 by uh, President Donald J. Trump, um, and uh, the you know the going back to the Second Speaker was going to I think it seems a continu- continuing theme, right? <laughs> uh, you know, Dubai or UAE um, and uh, Bahrain also signed on. So these are examples of those kind of uh, tre- treacherous re- regimes and these kind of useless statelets that emerge from the European co- colonization. Uh, emerged from the Ottoman uh, Khilafah, the Uthmani Khilafah, the Ottoman state. And, uh, and so they signed on to, re- to recognize the, um, uh, the Zionist entity, and it's a way to, uh, a way to uh, 
normalize the relations between the Muslim countries and the Zionist entity. But of course, someone, as, as I was kind of joking around, you know, with the, you can clearly see Trump's signature on this paper and anything that Trump has signed, a man who got elected on the platform of hating Muslims. Yeah. Like how, you know, it's kind of funny, like how like the media doesn't kind of mention any of that, right? Uh, that when it comes to uh, kind of pointing that these kind of in, inconvenient uh, inconsistencies uh, with, you know, this kind of uh, kind of central thing that they're promoting there, and I'm quoting from the document, we encourage efforts to promote interfaith and intercultural dialogue to advance a culture of peace amongst the three Abrahamic religions and all humanity, right? And, and so how can a man who gets elected on hating Muslims, you know, uh, and, and declaring that, you know, Muslims be banned from America. And he, it's not like he just, it was just something he said in his presidency. He fought that, like he fought to have that ban implemented. He fought the Supreme Court. That It's not like he did it and then kind of walked away from it. Oh, like, what am I going to do, the Supreme Court? No, he kept fighting it and fighting it, fighting it, right? So it's it's it, like this, to, uh, to not acknowledge that there's a, a, there's a problem here um, and what are they really, to be suspicious of these things would be completely naive and wrong. Yeah. And, and just stepping back for a second, it's like, I mean, this idea that uh, that we, uh, you know, the three Abrahamic uh, so-called religions can get along is it's, it's just it's this second it's it's a pure secular idea. How can it be that when the three of three these three groups of people, these the three belief systems, disagree about the reality of Isa al Salam, right? How can we how can we get along? The, the Jewish people think that he's nobody. The Christians say that he's the, you know, they say he's the son of God. And the Muslims say he's the, the we speak the truth about Isa salam that he is, uh, you know, he didn't have a father. Just and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala explained just like Adam didn't have a mother and father. He didn't he didn't have a father uh, and he's a, he's a virgin of virgin birth. And he's he's a messenger just like Musa salam and just like Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And 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 that's the thing. And and then on top of that, how can it be we get along when when the other two don't recognize Rasulullah sallallahu if, if, if people don't know that by now, that we love Rasulullah and we don't tolerate any kind of insult towards him, right? So how could it be? How could it this this the most like the one that we love them? You know we love so much Rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam. You know they they don't recognize that. How can that be? How could there be any kind of brotherhood with someone who doesn't recognize that? Right in Islam, this is impossible, right? And and, and I wanted to say is that Hizbut uh, Tahrir, like we put out a book in the early 2000s called A Dangerous Concept, and there's a chapter in there. It's called Interfaith Dialogue, which talks about interfaith dialogue and warning the Ummah about this. And this this thing which you see here in this document is a continuation of that. And we explain in that book that this this concept of interfaith dialogue started in the 30s with the French. Of course, it was the French. But <laughs> but the, the idea was that, uh, you know, they started off with it, but then, of course, World War II came and the Nazis handed their heads to them, right? Uh, and then, uh, you know, and then, then this kind of re- resurged in, uh, 19, uh, in the 1960s. Pope Paolo VI, uh, he encouraged the dialogue between uh, Christians and um, and Muslims, and he had, the Vatican published a book in 1969, a guide to dialogue between the Muslims and Christians. There was 13 interfaith uh, dialogues and intercultural kind of events uh, in the 1970s and 1980s. It really picked up in the 1990s. They had back-to-back conferences, one in Jordan and one in uh, in Sudan, uh, to promote this idea. And and it's the same language that you see here in this thing. So it's, this is nothing new. It's the same type of tired uh, kind of uh, like kind of you know insincere kind of colonialism that come where they want to give us up our deen because what they're trying to do is they're trying to say we're all the same 
And the idea is that we should just all be good capitalists, really. Like that's what you're saying, be an ethical capitalist. So when you work for a bank, you know, we see the interest rates rising. Be an honest banker, follow the, the rules of banking. And so when it comes to time to throw people out of their houses because they can't afford their houses, make sure you sign that document and throw people out of the houses, right? Whereas Islam says this is haram, right? This is haram that you get involved in the interest in riba system and that you, you would, would do such a thing that you would, because the person owes you interest as a, as a bank, that you would throw people out, right? Islam even goes further where, you know, Rasulullah told us that there's no right uh, for the uh, son of Adam. So any, anyone, anyone living in the Khilafah, Muslim or non-Muslim, uh, other than these things, a house in which he lives in, a garment to cover his nakedness, a piece of bread and water. Right? And if you, uh, I was reading this book by Mike Davis, which was about the famines that hit the subcontinent. And in there, he talks about the rule of the Muslims, like Aurangzeb and the other Mughal rulers. If you were starving in that time, it didn't matter. They, they, you'd be fed. Right? So this idea is not some theoretical concept that we don't know about. Right? This, is, this was the, when the Islam was implemented in, the, in India, Pakistan, and Bangladesh, this, this, was, the, this was the rule. It's, it's, a real, it's a real manifestation of that. And of course, when the British took over, there was a famine every four years. And 30 to 35 million people died in the subcontinent because of the implementation of capitalism. Right? So this is not something theoretical. This is something real. And it's something that Islam, when we look at this idea, this is what they want us to abandon. When they're saying that like, they want, they want the, uh, to interfaith dialogue and emphasize that, they want us to let go of Khilafah. They want us to let go of the economic system of Islam. They want to let go of these kind of teachings of Rasulullah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. So essentially, it's a, it's a push for secularism. And it's a push to remove Islam from the public life, from the public sphere, and from the institutions of power that govern us. Absolutely, and 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 it's like the inevitability. And inevitability is that you will uh, your your link to Islam and its belief systems will decrease. Like, how can you, like I said, like how can you find common cause with someone who does not love Rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam? It's just impossible. Can you focus specifically because you know we talked about the Abraham Accords? Uh, can you focus specifically on what this? I mean, is this all? Is this J Jordan Peterson or anyone just really? trying to push an acceptance or normalization of Zionism in the Muslim world? Or would you think that's the main focus of this? Absolutely. The Abrahamic Accords is like a big, because one of the signatories was the Zionist entity on, on, these, on these accords, right? Um, and and one, one thing is to be, this has been the game plan since even before the Ottoman uh, state collapsed. The Ottoman state collapsed on March 3rd, 1924, the 20th of Rajab, uh, 1328 after Hijra. And uh, there's a treaty between Faisal and ha uh, Haim Weizmann. Haim Weizmann was the head of the Zionist movement at the time. Faisal is the son of the traitor Sharif Hussein. Uh, and the British, of course, they, they promised him Hijaz and then they give it to the House of Saud. Uh, it's just you know, usual backstabbing of the British, right? He totally deserves it. <laughs> yeah. And, and then, and they, exactly, when you trust the disbelievers as, uh, as, as he did, this is what happens. And, 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 and so, uh, in that, in that, so what I'm trying to say is that what you see, this kind of agreement that you see here, it's, it's, uh, it's the same thing. It's like 100 years later, but it's the same game, right? And what's interesting is that the Ummah doesn't care. You know what I mean? Like the Ummah, everyone in this room and everyone listening knows that Palestine belongs to the Ummah and it'll always belong to the Ummah, right? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said in Surah Isra, he has said that he's mentioned Masjid al-Aqsa by name this in, the, in the night journey. This is Muslims will always believe that, 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 uh, that Palestine belongs to the Ummah and they will never give it up. And I want to contrast that. When we look at, for example, if you study the history, California, was part of Mexico, right? When when the Spanish invaded uh, the the North America, California was part of that territory that they had invaded. Do Mexicans today think California is part of Mexico? 
they don't. They've given it up, but the Ummah will never give up Palestine, right? People in, in the NWFP in the northwestern frontier province of Pakistan, they sing, uh, you know, uh, Nasheed about how they're going to liberate Palestine, right? And it's like, like whether the fact that not Palestine doesn't matter one iota and that the Ummah hasn't given up. And so the, 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 these treacherous rulers keep on trying, but, you know, they're, they're not succeeding in the, winning the hearts and minds of the Ummah to this, uh, this false cause. I, I want to share just a short anecdote based on what you were saying. Uh, I saw a video of a Serbian brother, like a Serbian, ethnically Serbian, as in like a Christian Serbian, who embraced Islam, right? Uh, and was then, I think he used to be a singer before, and then, so he was singing, I guess, a nasheed for Bosnians in a Bosnian concert, fundraising for Philistine. And I want you to think about all of that, right? He's a Serbian Christian. These people are dedicated to destroying Islam. He embraces Islam, you know, uh, starts identifying with the Bosnians who you would consider as his enemies, but then his loyalty doesn't stop there. Now he's concerned about Palestine. Now he's concerned about Philistine. And so it's really, it's part of our aqidah, it's part of our character as Muslims, right? Um, so it's for sharing that. I guess, I mean, if, if there is this definite push for, for Zionism, there is this push for individualism that we see amongst you know, uh, people like Jordan Peterson who are conservatives, who you know, uh, kind of have that kind of, those loyalties. We still see some people in, in, amongst the Muslims asking, okay, but you know, when it comes to LGBT issues, you know, he's, he's not for that, right? And he's resisting that. When it comes to defining womanhood as womanhood and manhood as manhood, he's, he's part of that. When it comes to even believing in God and declaring that in a public space, he's, he's defending that as well. So can't Muslims find some kind of common cause or have some kind of an alliance or some kind of a positive engagement with people like this? Uh, how would you respond to that? So I think, I think one of the things with, uh, with this whole uh, third piece and sort of a message to the Muslims, kind of what it's kind of alerted to us is that, uh, that Muslims should not look for heroes on the spectrum of right wing and left wing, right? Whether they're left-wing heroes or right-wing heroes, I mean the left-wing. Uh, a lot of Muslims have been disenfranchised of that because they're open uh, colonization and trying to get us to accept their definition of, uh, you know, what is a marriage between whatever, and and the LGBTQ kind of agenda. So the Muslims have been kind of pushed away. Then they saw, oh look, you know, they started gravitating towards right-wing personalities like Jordan Peterson, right? But the truth is that we don't. We have our. We must. Mean, we must have an independent political mindset. Like we do not belong to the left wing who considers backwards, etc., and who wants to sort of live as apostates, essentially. And then we don't have common cause with the right wing either. But when you have someone like Matt Walsh, he hates Muslims and Islam. He has a quote that I, you know, it's quite easy to find his hatred of Islam online. He says Islamophobia is a perfectly reasonable reaction to the millennial long campaign of brutality waged by some Muslims. When he's talking about millennial, what is he talking about? Is he talking about Saladin Ayubi, our hero, right? Of course he's talking about him. Who else is he talking about, right? You think they forget, right? So so the idea that we think that, like, if if you think that this guy who made this documentary is on our side, you're, you're, we're sadly mistaken. But to be honest, this reminds me a lot of what Malcolm X said, right? What Malcolm X said about uh, about the African-American community and how they deal with conservatives and liberals. And he compared the conservatives to wolves and the liberals to foxes and the African-Americans to lamb chops. And it was just a matter of how you get that lamb chop on your plate, right? And that's the exact same thing. We can learn a lot from uh, Malcolm X, may Allah mercy on Malik al-Shabazz, may Allah mercy on him, Granam Jannah, because it's the exact same problem we have, right? It's a, just a question of how we get served to either side. But what he said about the conservatives is that you know where you stand in the, in the cave of the wolf, 
right? Where you don't know where you stand with the liberals, right? Yeah. And so, so this, this, this kind of open enmity, you know that these people are not on our side, right? Now that being said, there are some, not all, not, not all conservatives are like this and not all liberals are, are like that. Right? The point is, is that we as, as a, we're an ummah of da'wah and we should take these opportunities of these people when they have these kind of moments of thought and openness. Even Jordan Peterson, we should invite him to Islam. We should be ambassadors to Islam, right? And, and, and to, as Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa in Mecca, the fact even though there was a huge campaign against him, he sallallahu alayhi wa invited all to, to Islam, whether you were rich, whether you were poor, whether you were part of his Banu Hashim, you're not part of Banu Hashim, it didn't matter, right? And that's what our attitude is, is that anyone who's willing to sit and discuss, even someone uh, you know, who's a, like, a white supremacist, right? Even someone who's a white supremacist, we should sit in, in, and he's willing to sit down and talk to, talk to us. You should, you should sit and talk to him, right, Anas? Uh, you remember, <laughs> yeah. We were, we were doing our Dawah booth a few years ago. This was, I think, around the time Trump got elected. And uh, we were talking to straight-up Nazis, right? And it was, uh, it was uh, mashallah, it was, a, it was a good experience. Uh, in fact, uh, some of the brothers we have in this room, we met, uh, you know, at a fascist protest against Sharia law. Uh, I think one brother might remember that. Um, so, uh, you know, mashallah, it's, uh, it's, it's very, uh, it's very productive to engage with people always. But yeah, I, I get your point about about independence. And just, and just to be clear, like if I recollect the conversation correctly, they couldn't the, that individual couldn't understand how we as Muslims can see past race. Yeah. Absolutely. He, I asked him what the purpose of his life was, and he said that he wants to have children. And I'm like, yeah, but you mean white children, right? And he's like, yes, definitely white children. And I was like, okay, right? So uh, yeah, he could even even something as basic as wanting to have kids for him was a was a racial ask, you know, was a racial thing. But yeah, yeah, um, we were able to engage with him on that. And so I, th I think that's that that kind of. Is, is what we need to do is that regardless of the you know we should we should be proud we should be we should have Izza, like we should be proud of Islam and we should be re we should we should be openly calling people to the haq to the truth to the real brotherhood of, of, of Islam and one thing to uh, remember is that Rasulullah was not a single uh, issue campaigner like he looked at the broad issues, right? So, for example, if you look at the when Allah subhanahu wa taala through the ayat that he revealed to Rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam condemned uh, the burial of the female, the female infanticide. It's not just a matter of female infanticide, right? So, someone may kind of look at that superficially and kind of make uh, an analogy, maybe to fighting abortion, for example. But that's not really when you look at what was when you look at the issue of of female infanticide at the time of uh, the Quraysh. It was linked. To their tribal system, right? The the tribal system is what the female infanticide was was linked to, right? Specifically, when you look at Abdul Muttalib, uh, Rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam's grandfather, when he had a dream about the Zamzam well, he only had one son with him, and he was afraid that even though he found the Zamzam well, he would not be able to keep it because he didn't have enough sons to help him protect and defend it. And so that's why they used to kill their daughters, right? Because if you fed those precious resources, this is the Jazid uh, al-Arab, the Arabian Peninsula, which is uh, scarce resources, then then how will you, uh, you should, it's, those resources are better spent on a son, right? And you kind of see the Chinese did the same thing. They would kill their daughters as well. Um, and, and, you know, for, so that they have a son that can farm, right? So Rural this, India is the same way still to yeah. this day. So, yeah. Yeah. And so you see this kind of tribal kind of mentality and we even see it kind of, kind of today. But, but the point was, is that it's more about the tribal system, 
the tribal system is the problem. Whereas, and then Islam breaks that down because it becomes an ideological system about based on the belief in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam is the last and final messenger. And so that's the thing is that we have to take a broader look and to look at the, like ultimately we have to see the ideological struggle between Islam and capitalism resulting with the ultimate fruition. It's not like some kind of abstract struggle between these two, uh, between these two ideologies, but rather with that ultimate fruition of that struggle resulting in the establishment of the Khilafah and the Muslim lands. I, 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 think, I think what I'm taking from that, which uh, is very important, is say we ally with the Jordan Peterson and get everyone to agree that a woman who's born a woman is a woman. Okay, cool, then what? Right? Like, have we gained anything as Muslims by doing that? Right? Uh, if you look at Rasulullah it wasn't, his call was never just stop killing your daughters. That they never stopped there. Right? He linked that to these daughters will come back on the day of judgment and tell Allah about what you did. Right? The, the aqidah is there completely, which is, and, and, and the solution being provided is enslave yourself to Allah. Right? And so if we're talking about abortion, if we're talking about uh, gender issues, if we're talking about LGBT, whatever it is, it's not enough to just push back against whatever single issue is being talked about, which is as far as Jordan Peterson or Matt Walsh or you know, Ben Shapiro or any of these guys are going to go. No, we need to push back further and be like, well, the real problem is freedom. The real problem is individualism, and the way to solve that is to enslave yourself to Allah, right? So, and it's a great point because if you don't link the, the these kind of issues to the parent issue of the family structure, right? Yeah, uh, and if you don't, and, and you can't talk about the family structure if you don't talk about what happens in divorce court here in in the in in, in the capitalist nations, or whether it's uh, you know Canada, the U.S., and so on. Yeah. Like it is a freaking nightmare. I was like, I kind of joke with people that if you wanted to uh, really show what freedom is about. You know, trans take a take an average court case uh, that from a divorce translate into Pashto or Persian, and you know, deliver it to the people <laughs> in Afghanistan, and you, you, everyone would be fighting you because they, no one would want that system in their in their in their lands, right? Yeah. Because it is horrific, horrific. Yeah. Like you talk to lawyers, like I've known a lawyer, uh, you know, you know, where he's admitted that like this is just a disaster system, and you have to spend hundreds of thousands of dollars just to get a basic right. Because what they don't say in freedom. The footnote is you have to live with your choices, right? So if you marry an idiot, it's your problem. Whereas Islam doesn't take a look like that, right? Like the Islam, is, we have an understanding that this is, there is a certain kind of atmosphere that must be in the house that must be conducive to what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has revealed. So it's not acceptable that if someone makes a mistake, you might marry someone wrong, but the idea is that you try to fix that as a society, right? That you have the court system that, that enables that, uh, you know, kind of uh, uh, like tranquility in the house, whereas this, this capitalist system is just a nightmare if you ever get involved. I'm able to protect everyone in this room and, 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 and beyond uh, from ever having to deal with the system. From ever having gone to court at all, actually. Yeah. Um, so I guess as, as kind of a, as we're more of a conclusion question, he has this focus at the end of his, his, his address, Jordan Peterson, where he talks about attaining Jannah together. Now, I think he means heaven on earth. I don't think he means like heaven as in theological heaven. Maybe he does. I don't know what he believes, to be honest with you. Um, but uh, he, he said something about how we're going to like somehow struggle for salvation together as people of the book. So, um, Malik, what do you think about that? 
So you're making tafsir on what he said there, but <laughs> I'm trying to. I don't know, man. There's a lot of ta'wil going on. I'm not really sure what, uh, what to do. Yeah, so Allah revealed, uh, Paradise is not obtained by your wishful thinking, nor by that uh, of the people of the, of the scripture. Whoever does the wrong will be recompensed for it, and he will not find besides Allah a protector or a helper. And that's in Surah Nisa, verse 123. And also refer to what the ayat that was referred at, uh, that was recited at the beginning. Never will the Jews and Christians approve of you until you follow their millah, which is translated as religion. Say, indeed, the guidance of Allah is the only guidance. If you were to follow their desires after what has come to you of knowledge, you would have against Allah no protector uh, or, or nor, help, nor, nor, nor a helper. And so I think what, what else, essentially what the call here is, is secularism. Like we have to understand that to separate deen from life, the idea is that you abandon uh, you give unto Caesar, Caesar, and give unto God, God, as the Christians say. And you become like the Jews and Christians who have abandoned uh, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. They have abandoned the idea that Allah should, subhanahu wa ta'ala should be the center of society. You know, it's, it's, you know, we just finished with the Hajj. The Tawaf is a very powerful symbol of what is the Muslim mentality, right? That we make, we circle around the kitab of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the Quran, and the sunnah of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa that we should be making, uh, we should be going around these ideas. This is, this is not the, what the Jews and Christians, they make, they mock Isa alayhi salam, they mock Musa alayhi salam, right? Uh, Jesus peace be upon him and Moses be upon him, even though they claim to love them, right? You see, there, there's a show, so, show uh, most of us probably know, it's South Park, where they make fun of Isa alayhi salam on that, right? Like, is this, is this what they want us to become? That we will insult Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam and even the other Anbiya. Like, I, I get upset when they see Isa alayhi and Musa alayhi being, uh, you know, uh, insulted. Like, I refuse to watch the Ten Commandments with whoever act, the actor is, right? Because this, this, is, not, this is not Musa alayhi right? Right? So, so the point is, is that this is, what they, this is what, what they want. And when you look at, for example, uh, Russell Brand in one of his books, he's written about how, uh, about what, what he, he finds strange is how the Christians do not make a big deal about how Isa salam, according to what they say in their Bible, threw out uh, the moneylenders in the temple. And they, because he, he, according to the Bible, the, uh, and we're not sure if this is true or not, but what they claim is that he's, is they, they were making their father's house into a robber's den. And what's interesting is that when you ask a Christian, they don't even care about this, right? There's no such thing as Christian finance. Like, is, is, this, about, is this about riba? Why aren't, you, why aren't you going after Goldman Sachs? Why aren't you going after T, uh, TD, right? If this is really uh, what is important, right? But that's the thing. You don't, when you try to Google Christian finance, you won't find anything. But on the other hand, if you Google Islamic finance, uh, you will find stuff. Now, uh, Islamic <laughs> finance is a very problematic. Uh, it's like, uh, you know, just because you put uh, uh, she, uh, sheep clothing around a pig doesn't, and you cut it and say, Allah, Bismillah, Allah, it doesn't make it halal, right? Um, but, but the point is, is that when you look at more from a demand side, like the Ummah, they, we want to go back to Quran and Sunnah. We want to live in a world where there is no riba. Even those, those who make excuses and we totally disagree with it, it's not like they make the, they, they say it's because of lorura, necessity. Meaning that there will become a time where this won't be here anymore. When, uh, you know, maybe when they think when the Mahdi comes, when the Khilafah comes back, this won't be a necessity anymore. So the point is that they, as an ummah, we haven't given up on the idea that one day there will be no riba, there'll be no interest being levied in the land, right? So we still, as an ummah, believe that. And that's what they want us to give up, right? Like this idea that we will become just like them, we will follow their millah, that we will give up this idea that Islam and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, that the society should make tawaf about Allah, around Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, meaning the courts and the governments will imp implement only Quran and Sunnah, right? Like in the, in the Muslim lands, which is the Khilafah, Manhaj uh, Nabuwa, the Khilafah on the method of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, which is coming back. And 
And, and I think that one of the most important things to recognize is that when it comes to this thing about freedom, which is what the Christian, Jews and Christians have adopted, all of them, is the idea that uh, when we look at that kind of deeply, it's a very shallow idea because what it is, freedom, is absence of a vision, right? People like throw around freedom and freedom and freedom and freedom, but when you think about it, what does that really mean? It means you can't have a concrete idea about what society looks like because then there's no freedom, right? If yeah. you say this is what the society should look like, they'll say who, made, who died and made you God, right? Because the fitrah demands that only God can run a society, right? Yeah. So, so the point is that Islam does, doesn't have that problem because we say this is what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wants. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wants everyone to have a house, everyone to have a, everyone to have a shelter, everyone to have clothing, everyone to have water, everyone to have something to eat. This is what the vision of Islam is, as, as what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala decreed. It's not my idea, it's not anyone in this room's idea. This is the vision that Islam has when it comes to economy. And, and there's obviously, you know, the, there's in, in each social, in each system, there's a different vision. But the point is that there is a vision and that's what we can never abandon that. Yeah, I mean, when we talk about freedom, I mean, we've seen the manifestations of, the two manifestations of freedom just in the past couple of years, where you have a bunch of people who are opposed to public health measures, uh, uh, you know, because it violated their freedom, right? Right. Which, I mean, society can't even basically agree then on how to not kill each other, right? Or you now you have another manifestation of it where, you know, uh, people are arguing in the States anyway that, you know, a woman terminating her pregnancy is a part of her freedom, right? right. Without any recognition of the fact that, well, you're not the only person involved in your pregnancy. There's <laughs> at least one more person, right, that's, that's growing inside you, right? right? And so, like, there's this absolute, um, you know, uh, but this is what freedom looks like, right? It, it's, it's a complete uh, negation of reality. Right. Absolutely. So. Yeah, freedom of thought does not necessarily result in correct thought. And that's a kind of like the, again, one of those kind of disclosures that they don't really talk about the footnote is, right? Like people talk freedom of thought that it automatically lead to scientific truths, but that's not necessarily true, right? No. If you don't, you're free to think that COVID is not going to kill you and that, you know, that you're free to think this and then you saw that, right? Yeah. So, and, but the West never kind of talks about that kind of downside, whereas Islam, you, it, those, who, those who follow the truth are not equal to those who don't. I think the other thing that I'm, I'm really uh, getting from what, what you're saying is that the Jews and the Christians, you know, you, you mentioned how they've, you know, subscribed to freedom. Uh, the Christians weren't, I mean, the Christians in particular weren't always like that, right? The Christians actually had uh, some civilizational authority at some point where some of their ideas were, you know, at least culturally kind of part of you know, a, a, a ethic or a morality. I mean, they've, they've never been a full ideology, of course, and they've just primarily been a spirituality, but you still had some insistence of Christians to make an impact in the public space, right? right? Like, uh, I, I think it was Thomas Aquinas who was opposed to usury. Right. He used to talk about how usury is unchristian, right? You had William Wilberforce and the evangelicals who opposed slavery, right? And that was something that they were very opposed to the transatlantic slave trade. Abolition as a whole was primarily a Christian project, right? Right. Um, but they've completely given up on that, right? Like Christianity has completely receded from the public square, right? Where, you know, what they're arguing for now is just, oh, but, you know, like, uh, if I, if I want to, if I run a, a bakery and, you know, uh, gay people want to get married, I should have the freedom not to bake them a cake, right? Like, that's, that's, that's how far it's gotten, right? So I, I guess my question or my comment on that would be, what do we have to learn from such a defeated people, right? Absolutely. Muslims are not this defeated. Muslims have, uh, you know, uh, 
a clear idea of what their civilization authority should be, and we're serious about maintaining it and even, you know, attaining it where we don't have it. So. And, and that's kind of the shocking thing. I mean, we have 1,400 years of scholarship. We have very capable people within the Ummah, um, you know, scholars, activists, others who are versed in the in the ayat and the hadith and, and, and the Islamic uh, kind of heritage. And so, like, for someone to come and tell us, like, you know, your biggest problem is the Sunnah Shia divides. It's kind of it's it's very it's very uh, you know to put it's very hard to kind of digest that in a charitable way because you know we have we're more than capable of uh, of uh, managing our own affairs. Uh, I guess as my as my final question uh, before we go on to your conclusion and the questions from the audience, inshallah, I found it very funny. He started talking about like technological solutions to the sectarian divide. So he said, you know, one of you, you know, one of you Muslims out there, you know, uh, the the smart ones, you know, get in touch with me and we'll figure out a way to create an app where Sunnis and Shias can talk to each other. I was like, what do you think the Muslim world looks like once again? I remember being in high school and like my friends from Pakistan would talk about like Sunni Shia debates on Orkut. I don't know if any of you remember what Orkut was. I mean, I'm getting one person nodding. <laughs> I love you, bro. Um, but you know, it's a it's a very it's a very old like pre Facebook kind of thing that was huge in Pakistan, primarily for religious discussions, right, and debates actually, right. So I don't know why he thinks that Muslims don't know how to use technology to talk to each other, right, uh, which is which is ridiculous. But I guess. Um, if we can find a productive way of talking about that, uh, other than just making fun of it, um, what is what do you see as kind of uh, the landscape for Muslims doing da'wah and using technology and using te technological innovations to uh, to advance the cause of Islam? So, so I, I would say that uh, it's it's interesting when you kind of look at what he's saying, given the context of of how social media has kind of uh, fared for people in, in terms of activism and. Uh, and uh, and this kind of divide that you see, especially amongst the uh, the left wing, the right wing. Uh, so I mean, I think like, obviously, you know, as a Muslim, you have to do your best in Dawah efforts, and you should use any kind of means available. But at the same time, we can't be naive, right? If Trump, the most powerful man on the planet, is going to get kicked off social media, what is the plight of of people who they're trying to colonize and defeat and destroy, right? Like, how can we use uh, if he can't keep his Facebook account up, his Twitter account up? What what chance do we and 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 uh, Palestinian groups, some of which are not uh, totally Islamic, get thrown off of uh, Facebook, get thrown off of Twitter, right? Just Absolutely. like that. Yeah. There's no no recourse and 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 no uh, no there's no there's no there's no accountability for Facebook and all that. Like like I went through a book on Facebook and, and Mark Zuckerberg and things like that. And they don't even mention how Palestinians get thrown off of that, and it's a well-known issue, right? Yeah. Um, and what I find strangely when you think about it, everyone says that social media is divisive. Right, so how is this like thing that's not even bringing bridging the left and the right together going to help us? Right, like I mean, like t like slow down, man. Like you know what I mean? <laughs> it's like look look at this thing. Like everyone says it's divisive because the way the algorithm works, it works on uh, in increasing the conflict. It doesn't it doesn't solve the conflict. So you're, you're as as the British would say, you're throwing petrol on the fire, right? Like so, this idea of using electronic media, it's not gonna it's not gonna do that. And I think more broadly is that uh, uh, that the pro the the problem is that it's only Islam that has the capability of really building real brotherhood, right? Like Islam has the, the concept because we recognize that we are uh, created by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and that the only, the only reason why someone is better than someone else is because of taqwa, right? Like the one who has more taqwa is, 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 is better, right? So the problem with uh, like liberalism is that it, 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 ha it has only a materialistic way of looking at things and it has completely failed in building brotherhood. Uh, amongst its people, right? So, for example, you know, we talked about 
the, the Russian-Ukrainian kind of conflict, like what sort of the tragedy is, is that they were more united under communism, right? And you know, as Muslims, of course, we reject communism, the atheistic belief, it's a kufr ideology. But it shows you that how terrible uh, capitalism is itself, right? Like this, when, as we discussed in our, in our previous podcast, like the, the seeds of the current conflict were laid when, when, uh, when they went back to capitalism, which, uh, as, as we discussed, yeah. embraces the nation state. It embraces, embraces nationalism. And that ultimately, when you look at how, you know, the, when under Soviet times, they built the gas pipelines through Ukraine, um, uh, the Soviet uh, sort of empire, that there's obviously going to be bitterness if this, if this, if this, the Russians are pumping gas from their from their lands to Europe and they're going through a foreign territory. Yeah. It's gonna it's gonna create conflict, right? And and the thing is, you can't have real con- conversation online only. It has to have uh, you know the you have to be on the ground explaining. Uh, you know what's going on. So I know the brothers and his with Tahrir in Pakistan, for example, when uh, when the the Shia masjids were getting blown up, they went to explain uh, to them that uh, that it's not really the this has nothing to do with the Sunni Shia conflict. This is the Raymond Davis network or this, the the foreign infiltrators, the CIA and the other operatives that are the ones kind of doing that. And that's and the, and the interesting reaction of those people at the masjid, the Shia masjid, was yeah, we know we read your leaflets. So <laughs> the point is that the point is that whether it's something like that engaging uh, on the ground, uh, it has to be you know kind of you know person to person. You can't have a real conversation online without uh, without uh, real uh, you know kind of. Uh, you know, kind of conversations, and the last thing when the when you look at kind of the complete failure of uh, of uh, capitalism, the other thing is to look at the EU, the European Union. They have completely failed in trying to unite, and they can't blame the Khilaf. The Khilaf is not here anymore, right? They can't blame the Ottomans anymore, yeah. right? Yeah. And you know, when you look at Brexit, you know, people they left the European Union, and they need to stick together. Otherwise, how are they going to defeat America on the world stage, right? Yeah. If they don't stick together. Like, the, like, for example, right now, Germany is going through huge problems because they're dependent on Russian gas, yeah. right? So how, how are you going to, going to face off the world when you can't unite? Because, because they don't have the answers when it comes to these things because they don't have the hidayah of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Uh, Jazakallah khair, Malik, uh, for your time. I want to I wanna give you the chance to leave us with any concluding thoughts or any advice on engaging you know, online, offline, uh, with either people who are of the right wing or just engaging with the wider society in general. The main thing is that uh, we as an ummah have to be confident in the Islamic Aqidah and to understand that this is the haq from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and that Allah revealed it to dominate over all other deens, right? Because it is the best deen, right? The best thing we have uh, that we have is not our, the money, amount of money in our bank account, it's not uh, you know the number of children we have. It's it's what Allah Subhanahu wa Taala has revealed to us, and that this thing, this gift we have, we can give it to others, right? This 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 uh, the tranquility, the knowing why you're why you exist, knowing that there's a purpose, um, is the most important thing that we have, and we have to be confident and well versed in the proofs. Why is Islam better than capitalism? Why is it better than communism? This is something that it's not it's not sufficient to just understand Islam in an abstract way. We have to take the stage and lead, right? How how do you how do you talk to someone like Jordan Peterson or someone who has versed that way without understanding the ideological struggle between that has has been going on between Islam and capitalism for hundreds of years and is continuing to today. So it's important for us to to be confident and if we're not confident to reach out to to you know the Muslim Hizbut Tahrir and uh, you and me and we can you know definitely work with you to uh, to to up, up our game collectively because we can learn from each other uh, in engaging the wider community. 
Yeah, I, th I think a lot of people are afraid to have these conversations because they're so afraid they'll get it wrong, they'll say something, or it's just controversial. There's a lot of heat, and they don't know how to how to deal with that. And uh, alhamdulillah, there is resources in the community to do that. Uh, if there's no one else, we're here, right? And inshallah, we'll uh, we'll do our best to equip you uh, with uh, with those concepts, which are so necessary because everyone's asking about them anyway, right? So. Jazakallah uh, khair, everyone, uh, for your time, uh, and may Allah uh, reward us for our spending this time together, forgive our sins, and, uh, and grant us the highest levels of Jannah. And uh, if anyone has any questions for uh, the speaker, uh, then please uh, ask away, inshallah. It's a very good observation. I'll repeat it just for, for the audio. But I, I guess uh, what the brother is saying is that Jordan Peterson has had uh, two or three Muslim guests in the past. Uh, most notably, uh, Sheikh Hamza Yusuf and, uh, and uh, Muhammad Hijab. And uh, it seems that those conversations were fruitless because he, his message now uh, does not reflect any understanding of Islam uh, based on those two conversations that he had. Um, and so maybe he was just using those conversations for access to the Muslim community for his daily wire course or whatever, right? As opposed to uh, actually learning something from what he's talking about. Uh, Malik, do you have a comment on that? Yeah, as as uh, Anna said at the outset, uh, you know, we we just take that as a, we take him as a, as a as a sincere kind of you know person, kind of as a premise. I mean, uh, he he did upgrade uh, from you know what he said about Rasulullah sallallahu earlier to saying you know peace be upon him in his video. But but the thing is that you know ultimately you know what is between him and, and what is in his heart, as we say, is between him and Allah subhanahu wa taala. And, uh, you know, we, we, we pray that Allah guides him and that he has the right interactions. I mean, you know, when you think about them, like, to discuss with him um, would be, you know, hours worth of discussion. Like, any, like anyone, any non-Muslim, to be honest, right? Anyone requires a lot of work, right? Like, to, I mean, when I watched the Muhammad Hijab kind of video, he didn't, he refused to accept the premise that you can have rational belief in a creator. He refused to accept that, right? And that's if you if if you don't can't wrap your head around that, it's very difficult. And when I've had these kind of conversations with people, especially with Christians, once that clicks, either they become Muslim or they go running for the hills, right? And so that's kind of these things. It's like it's the thing about Islam. Islam is not something that you can be a tourist in, right? It's not like like you know some people be like Buddhist in the morning and like New Age in the afternoon and you know whatever whatever, right? But Islam's not like that, right? Like it's not something that you can just kind of sample, right? You have to. You have to embrace it as a whole, and when you kind of get to these issues, it can be very hard in those kind of conversations. Like, uh, you know, not to criticize Muhammad Hijab, uh, because it's difficult when you're on the in the spotlight, uh, in, in, when it's you know kind of shining in your eyes. But but it seemed that he missed the, that point uh, in that kind of discussion. So it's you need a lot more kind of discussions with him, and inshallah, you know, hopefully we can, you know, I mean, he is in Canada, so hopefully. We can engage him, but but the idea is that it, there's a lot to unpack uh, there. These kind of biases that the West has, uh, you know, especially uh, you know Europeans and how they kind of approach them. Uh, they're used to uh, us like them being on top and us being on the bottom. Like it's like I said, like this black on black crime and the Sunni and Shia kind of thing. To not recognize that there's no such thing as Shiaistan and Sunnistan, right? Like, like come on, man. Like look at the map. Where does this map come from? Where are these straight lines coming from? And you know who? We everyone knows that these straight ruler lines come from the European colonialists, right? So it's 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 it's, uh, it's a long conversation and it's a lot to unpack. And so you know we we take it as as a as a sincere attempt. And inshallah. 
you know, he can engage with people who can actually discuss with him at length. I think the only thing I'd add to that is that, uh, and I, I haven't heard either of those interviews, right? Um, but uh, what I would say is, in general, productive engagement doesn't come from exploration, right? Where someone's like, oh, I wonder what you think about this, this, and this. It comes more from challenging the other person's ideas, right? And so if you're a Muslim and you're doing da'wah, your goal shouldn't just be to explain what the five pillars of Islam are or what the rules of Ramadan are. That's fine, right? You can do that. But ultimately, you have to get to a point where you're creating some friction, some heat in the other person's mind, right? And you're dethroning an idea that they've put in there uh, as their chief idea, right? So if his chief idea is that religion is all vibes or whatever, right? And that it's all just Jungian, like, you know, I don't know, whatever, spirituality, and not truth that you have to commit to, then you have to challenge that, right? And for Peterson. Or if his core idea is that freedom is a good thing and that it's the only tool we have against tyranny or something like that, then you have to challenge that very directly. I'm not saying that didn't happen. I don't know, right? But that's just general, uh, a general comment I would make on that. Um, any other? So I guess the, the two comments we have, if I can summarize them, are, are once again going back to the idea of sincerity, but more from the perspective of recognizing danger, right? Which is that someone like Jordan Peterson, someone like Andrew Tate even, uh, for example, uh, they are marketing themselves to a Muslim audience or marketing themselves to a non-Muslim audience who is, will be impressed with their comments on Islam, right? Uh, and are not really being very intellectually sincere in how they engage with it, right? Like as the brother pointed out, does Jordan Peterson have transgender pen pals, right? I, I, <laughs> I'm thinking no. Um, and uh, that, that wouldn't help regardless, right? Um, and so it's, it's similar to the I have a black friend solution to racism, right? Like what, is, what would that achieve, right? Um, but ultimately, uh, what, we're, what we're getting at is, or what, what the comment we're getting is, is that why assume he's sincere, he is actually a danger to the Muslims because they might listen to him because of his articulate critiques of, of liberalism. Um, and let's be more wary about calling these people on our platforms and you know, celebrating their uh, statements that we can kind of agree with. Uh, do you have a comment on, on that? Yeah, and it's basically, uh, as the brother mentioned, uh, it goes back to that we definitely, they are dangerous, right? Like these people, when you go start, you know, waving the Abraham Accords, which is a colonial, um, you know, colonial tactic that's been around for a hundred years. It's not like they invented it yesterday. The the Faisal-Weizmann Agreement, is it's exactly the same thing. Like it's exactly the same thing that descendants of the Zionists and the descendants of the Arab traders are signing the same agreements and he's flagging that out. And it was it's, it was signed by someone who hates Islam and Muslims, right? And he didn't point that out, right? So, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's, uh, it's definitely true that we as Muslims can never take these people as our heroes. That should be abundantly clear. Jordan Peterson or anyone from the left, um, you know, left has kind of, kind of exposed themselves even to their own people, like, uh, you know, especially in the States, like the, what they call the squad, like, uh, you know, um, you know uh, AOC and the others. Uh, no, like these people, we should never take them as a hero because they they have the capitalist ideology. They are capitalists. They are not. They have. They they are responsible for the destruction of our of our lands. Right. It's it's uh, you know this issue when you look at especially the subcontinent. It's East India Company that came and destroyed us. The reason why I speak English today is because of the corporation that came in and ransacked my 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 ancestral land. Now if I go back there, I have to sit at the back of the bus, right? Because of BJP. But who ultimately is responsible for that? It's people like these, like people who sponsor these types of things. Who behind the scenes they 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 acknowledge 
and support the capitalist way of life. So 100% agree that the, the what, what should be very, very clear, and I appreciate this comment because so I can double down on it, is that we cannot take heroes from the, the thing. We have to define our own independent political movement, right? We cannot take from uh, the spectrum and, and expect for some of there to be a white savior for us, right? This is this, we got to let go of this colonialism that's been in, injected into our minds, you know. Uh, that you know they made yes in the in the Muslim lands they made the disbelieving personality the focus of our thoughts. But we have to reject that programming, and we have to we have to look at our own sort of uh, uh, vision and, and and implement that, and that realize that these people have no clue what they're talking about. As as uh, the brother mentioned, that you know he has his own demons, and a lot of that come from capitalism, right? Like the the fact that you have no guidance uh, is that issue, right? Like these people who even this whole transgender thing, like people regret going through that kind of conversion therapy later on. But that's the point. Like Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has guided us that if you're a man, you're a man. And if you're a woman, you're a woman, right? This is what the guidance of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. What is hidayah, right? That we submit to that, whether you, what, regardless of your desires, right? So uh, it's, 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 it's important that, uh, that we recognize the only way forward for human beings uh, is, is Islam and that we have to, uh, we have to embrace the grassroots methodology of Rasulullah as he envisioned in Mecca and to have our own things and to steer clear and I think and I think that's the it's very easy to show how the right wing compared to the left wing because the left wing people gravitate to that because they're afraid of the right wing right the right wing is going to come and eat us the wolf is going to come and eat us and so they go to the left wing and now they, they realize the left wing wants us to become apostate so they run to the right wing and so we got to stop running right we have to like we have to we have to chart our own kind of independent uh, you know kind of efforts like so like what we're doing right here um, and kind of work on these uh, kind of uh, uh, support these types of efforts and and and, and double down and, and invest the effort necessary to make these types of efforts uh, successful by permission of Allah yeah, and just to be clear being saying someone might be sincere doesn't mean that they're good smart intelligent or productive like I still think it's a toilet idea just like you do uh, brother uh, I assuming that he's sincere about it he could just be sincerely stupid right so I mean that's not uh, that's not a that's not inshallah we're not downplaying the danger of those ideas uh, through uh, through this conversation brother you had a question no jazakallah khair for, for that comment and reminder and I'll, I'll summarize it for the audio is essentially you saying that first of all that Jordan Peterson should know better because he understands how research works and understands like how to make an argument and things like that uh, politics or religion may not be his field right but uh, those skills themselves are transferable right like and you should you can you can recognize good work when you see it even if it's not your field right um, and so he should he should know uh, not to open his mouth without that kind of research I agree completely right and I understand that uh, and your 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 broader comment was on needing to be vocal in the community uh, as, as, a, as an anchor, right? So they're not running around to the left and the right, you know, trying to find protection in Trudeau or Polyver or whoever else it is they're, they're looking for. Um, Patrick Brown, I think someone said. <laughs> we, we saw what happened there. Um, and so, uh, so yeah, I, I think, I think that's, that's, very, uh, that's a very valuable comment. I don't know if you have something you want to add to that, Malik. Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's very important that we, uh, the one thing that just to kind of add is this, you know, when you study the history of the subcontinent and the colonization that took place there, it was like, you know, uh, 
like 50 Britishers ruled over us and why what happened was that it was like it was South Asians who were oppressing South Asians right and it's uh, we gotta let this go you know I mean I, I don't I don't it, like this is something that we have to talk about because this mentality is deep-seated in us like embedded in the Union Jack as a Crusader cross right the, the Union Jack is an amalgam of the English flag which has a Crusader cross that uh, Richard the Lionheart used when he was killing Muslims and we, we just can't subscribe to that anymore we have to you know we have to be independent in our mindset, right? This is something we must achieve and recognize that the solutions are not going to come from the reality because the reality is corrupt by the the colonialist capitalists, right? Um, this system, uh, just like Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala swallowed up communism, just like he swallowed up Karun, like this is the system doesn't work. Kufr doesn't work, brothers. You know, Kufr does not work, right? Only Islam will work. This, like when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala made interest haram, when he made corporations haram, this issue is, is, is for all human beings. It just doesn't work, right? And we, we as the Ummah are the only ones who know this, right? So if we don't speak up, who's going to speak up, right? And we have to speak up. And of course, we have to first speak up within ourselves as an Ummah. And then we have to talk to everyone else, right? So this is the, this is the, these are basic facts that no Muslim will ever disagree with, that Islam works and nothing else works. The only deen before Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is Islam, right? So, so this is this is a very important idea, and that we have to start recognizing and stop making excuses and stop trying to conform to the reality. Instead, we got to bend the reality towards Islam. Inshallah. I think uh, I think I'll conclude there, just in the interest of time. Uh, we've been an hour and a half, so I, if, uh, of course, if anyone else uh, has any questions, concerns, comments, uh, please come up to us. We're here, Inshallah. But once again, Jazakallah for your time. Uh, bless the rest of your weekends and inshallah we'll meet again uh, next month. Assalamu alaikum.